Well, it's my privilege to share the word of the Lord with you today and uh, to remind you that uh, what he says and does is the most important thing about this meeting, okay? And he wants to speak to you through his word today. I've entitled uh, the message today, More Than Enough, More Than Enough. Um, If I were to ask you, I'm not going to ask you to respond aloud, but if I were to ask you, do you know, or at least do you know of a greedy person? I suspect you could come up with a name, right? So it might be somebody you know and deal with on a regular basis, in which case we'll pray for you. Um, It might be someone you know by reputation. It might be a character you remember from a story or a movie, Uh, but... Can we be honest? Greed, we, we, you know, greed, it just sounds bad, doesn't it? That double E sound, greed. Uh, it's, just a, it's just a bad word. And so then if I were to ask you, are you a greedy person? Now, I'm just going to take a stab in the dark here, okay? Uh, in your private prayers with the Lord, when is the last time you called yourself to Jesus greedy? Now, I'll give you a break. Maybe you used a synonym. Right? Because, you know, I mean, sometimes that's what we mean when we, you know, tell the Lord, I'm, I'm selfish. I've been selfish. I've been self-serving. We can use other words. But we just don't, we don't like to use the word greed about ourselves. Right? And um, here's the thing about um, sin. Uh, if it works in the dark, it works really effectively. Okay? And what I want us to be reminded of by the Lord and remind each other today and in the future, can we agree that everything about the culture we live in stirs up greed? One of the reasons we don't think about it is it's the wallpaper, right? Everything. I mean, there are billions of dollars a year spent to make you want stuff. Are you aware of that? I mean, it, Madison Avenue is good at what they do. And our hearts, I'm going to use this term intentionally, our hearts are discipled by ads and pitches, yes? And uh, the worst part is we don't even know it's happening to us. We don't even know we've become greedy. We're going to be reading uh, what I think will be, for many of you, a very familiar story, if not the text in particular, We're going to be reading from Matthew 14 in just a moment. If you want to open your Bibles there, I think we'll have it on the screen as well. But I want to remind you that when Jesus ministered uh, in his earthly ministry, he was mostly ministering. You remember how Jesus taught his disciples to pray? One of the lines is, give us this day our daily bread. So I want you to think with me for a moment. Jesus ministered to thousands of people who maybe didn't even have a pantry in their house. You with me? (laughs) So the way they lived was they worked a day, they got paid for a day, they went to the market, and they ate. That's the way they lived. I mean, can you imagine my mom, she's with the Lord now. I teased her before she died, so it's okay for me to tease her after. Uh, All of our friends said that when the uh, nuclear fallout happened, they were all coming to my mom's house because our pantry was stuffed, right? And it's mostly because if she found a sale, she bought 20. So we had 20 cans of tuna, 20 cans of tomato, everything we had, we had 20 of, but she never paid retail for any of it. So it was all good. But uh, 
So I can't even imagine a house without a pantry. Can you? And there are obvious. So, by the way, the fact that we can't imagine it is another reminder that we are wealthy. Okay, our baseline is wealth, and we're not even aware of that reality. Those are the kind of people Jesus ministered to constantly. And in the story we're about to read, I want to remind you that whenever you read a story about Jesus in the Gospels, he's always doing fundamentally the same thing. He was very clear about his mission, wasn't he? On his way to the cross, he was announcing and demonstrating the rule of God. All right? He was telling us of its arrival, and he was explaining to us what it is like, and he was demonstrating. Aren't you glad he's a show-and-tell Jesus? So he'd tell us and he'd show us and he'd show us and he'd tell us and then um, a few people got it. So the story we're about to read is another demonstration of the reign of God that by the grace of God, we who trust in God through Christ live in today. And so I'm going to ask you to listen to a very familiar story today with a new set of ears because um, I think we've missed some of the significance of the story. Just before we read it from Matthew, I want to tell you something that might surprise you. Do you know there are only two stories that are included in all four New Testament Gospels? So one, I'm, going to get, I'm going to spot you one, and then you're going to guess the other because of my sermon. The first one is the story of the resurrection. All four Gospels tell that story. Okay, that makes sense. Check. The second one is this story. When Jesus fed 5,000 men and whatever number of women and children were with them at that time, that story gets told in all four Gospels. Kind of makes you say, hmm, doesn't it? Wonder why this story is so important. And then, as many of you know, there are actually two feedings of multitudes told about in the Scriptures. A feeding of 5,000 told four times and a feeding of 4,000 told twice. So there are six accounts of this kind of miracle, right? Bueller, Bueller, right? Um, we, even the densest of us should be paying attention by now. So Jesus is, uh, well, let's just read the story. It's a marvelous story. I'll read it aloud as you read it silently. Uh, oh, I need to tell you one thing. In, the, in Matthew's account, just before this story, <laughs> Jesus hears that Herod has beheaded his cousin, John the Baptist. And at this place in Jesus' life, the only two people we know for sure get Jesus are his mama and John the Baptist. (laughs) So the loss of John the Baptist uh, was a personal loss for Jesus, okay? When Jesus heard about it, the it is the beheading of John the Baptist. He withdrew from there, and there is uh, the northern edge of the Sea of Galilee, He withdrew from there by boat to a remote place to be alone. When the crowds heard this, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd, had compassion on them, and healed their sick. When evening came, the disciples approached him and said, This place is deserted, and it is already late. Send the crowds away so they can go into the villages and buy food for themselves. They don't need to go away, Jesus told them. You give them something to eat. Sorry, I added to the scriptures. But we only have five loaves and two fish here, they said to him. Bring them here to me, he said. Then he commanded the crowds to sit down on the grass. 
He took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he blessed them. He broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds. Look at verse 20. Everyone ate and was satisfied. They picked up 12 baskets full of leftover pieces. Now those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Holy Spirit of God, the author and the enlivener of this Word, speak to us now and draw us to Jesus Christ. Amen. We look closely at this story. I hope you'll see with me that because Christ offers us His abundant provision, we receive all we need and we offer it to others. Now, I just described to you in one sentence the kingdom of God. Now, that's just one description, you know. There are hundreds of accurate and wonderful descriptions of the rule of God, but that's a good one. Because of what Jesus offers, we have more than enough. We use the enough and we give away the more. So in case you fall asleep, you've got the sermon, okay? Now that's that's good news, isn't it? You know what else I just described to you? I just described to you freedom. I described to you the cure for greed. I described to you the cure for covetousness. I've described to you the cure for envy. I described to you the cure for for much of your anxiety about the future. These are words of freedom. This is a story about how Jesus' super sufficiency sets us free. I told you earlier that there are two accounts where uh, are two events accounted for six times in the Gospels. In, in one of those, Jesus feeds 5,000. In another, he feeds 4,000. And as we work our way along, we'll look at some of the differences. We only read the Matthew account, but I'm going to be referring to some of the other accounts, and you won't have any trouble finding those. If you have a good study Bible, it will tell you where the parallel uh, passages are, and you can read those. But just to get the gist of a familiar story, I'm just going to run through. Somebody taught you this in school, how to just ask the big questions of the story, right? So we're going to do that. First question, where and when did this happen? Okay, so the when, we're going to put that in terms of where it falls in Jesus' ministry. Jesus is going and blowing in his Galilean ministry. He's working miracles. He's preaching. He's teaching. He's going from town to town. He is no longer an obscure, anonymous uh, contractor from Nazareth. Everybody knows him. Everybody who hears about him wants to see him. Uh, When they hear stories about him, they want one of those stories to happen to them, right? And that's what's going on. But as I said to you, this is a turning point because of John's beheading. Uh, Jesus is, uh, it's, it's almost like some of the accounts of that in the Gospels tells us it's, it's almost like that was Jesus' signal to move to another stage of his earthly ministry. John's being uh, killed by Herod. So that's sort of when it happens in the, in the Jesus story. Where does it happen? It happens, interestingly, and this is emphasized in the accounts. It's stated in the Matthew account and in the other accounts. It's in a remote desert place. It's in a remote desert place. Now, uh, parts of Galilee are very green and lush, and in parts of Galilee, particularly uh, most, uh, most people who studied it locate this on what would be the northeast side of the Sea of Galilee. It's a little rockier. It's more mountainous, a little less lush, particularly when you get up to a little bit of, of altitude. And we're told at one place, so we're told, we're told it's remote, 
we're told um, it was a mountain, okay? So, and a multitude has followed. So that's where and when. Uh, what motivates Jesus to do what he does? Don't you love? It told us he had compassion for them. Now, I don't know about you. I'm, a, I'm an ambivert. There are times when I just, you know, need to be with people, and then there are times I need you to leave me alone, right? And when I'm in leave me alone mode, I don't want you following me. I don't want you finding out where I am and tracking me down. You might provoke a response you don't like. Jesus wanted to be alone. And by the way, alone to him meant alone with his posse, alone with his guys. But he wanted to be alone, and yet the multitude tracked him down. And I don't know about you, but I would have been annoyed. And Jesus wasn't annoyed. You know what he was? He was compassionate. One of the accounts said he was compassionate because they looked to him like sheep without a shepherd. And he was the good shepherd. So you got to do who you are, right? And Jesus, that's what motivated him. So we're reading a story, obviously, of blessing. So who benefits in this story? I love this. The crowd. That's what they're called. The crowd. Oxlos in Greek. Just the gang. Anybody and everybody who showed up benefited. And here's something interesting about the two stories, okay? Jesus fed 5,000. That story always comes first when there are two. Then he, then he fed 4,000. Um, and uh, interestingly, at the end of the 5,000 feeding, the disciples gather up what's left over, and there are 12 baskets. At the end of the 4,000 feeding, in both accounts, when they gather up all that's left over, there are seven baskets. And um, in ancient literature, numbers like that are not uh, random, neither are they statistics. <laughs> they are speaking to us on another level. So uh, many students in the New Testament, uh, and, and by the way, this fits the narrative of the Gospels that uh, have both accounts, which I'm pretty sure, I know it's Matthew and I think it's also Mark. The 5,000, the number 5 is very significant for the Jewish people because of the Torah, right? And the 12 baskets <laughs> would be meaningful to the Jewish people, right? The 12 tribes of Israel, the completeness of the people, the 12 disciples picking up those 12 baskets. And then 4, this is one we're less familiar with, 4 is a number that often refers to the four points of the compass, North, south, east, and west. They didn't have compasses, but they knew directions, right? And so when you see the number four used in a story that seems to be tending toward a symbolic use, it often has the idea of universality. And then seven baskets collected is the number of completeness, right? And so it's almost like we have Jesus doing a Jewish, a Jewish version and a Gentile version at the same time. Now, realistically, the crowd in both cases were probably almost exclusively Jewish. But the sec so the crowd stands in for all the nations of the earth and all kinds of people in those nations, right? It's it's a, it's pointing forward. See, this is why I told you at the beginning this story, like all of Jesus, all the Jesus stories, it's an expression, it's a demonstration of where God's going with his kingdom. So who? All y'all, right? The crowd. What are the benefits? Well, the first benefits, the people come and Jesus has compassion for them and he starts healing them and casting demons out of them. 
and uh, setting them free from sickness and bondage. That's worth the trip. I don't think anybody at the end of that day was sorry they came. They either received that kind of ministry or they witnessed it in somebody they cared about. And it, it was a good day. It was already a good day. And then Jesus decided they needed to eat before they left. And uh, what, I, what I love about that, we'll come back to it in a moment, what I love about that is, you know, it's pretty clear when, when a man lays hands on somebody and something they've been sick with for a long time is gone. Pretty clear that's a sign, right? That's a miracle. That's a pointing toward the, the rule and reign of God. It's, uh, it's a little less obvious when somebody gives you, uh, you know, a hunk of fish and, uh, and some bread. But Jesus, what are the benefits? both the spectacular and the ordinary. Isn't that wonderful? These people came and received from Jesus both things that had the crowd buzzing and things that had the crowd, their stomach's not growling. Talk about that more. How did the crowd receive this good thing? And I'm I'm thinking primarily of the meal. But (laughs) they really only did two things. First, they came. So they they track down Jesus. That's always a worthwhile endeavor. Would you agree? Find out where Jesus is and get there. (laughs) Find out where Jesus is going and head him off, which is what they did. Um, They came, but then when it came time to receive this miracle of the feeding, you know what their job was? Sit down and recline. Sit down and recline. They weren't even sitting up. They were reclining as if they were about to be served a feast. In the Roman world, that's how you would... uh, that's how you would sit at table. You would, your body would be toward the table and your feet away from it. and You would be reclining. And that's the word that's used in one of the accounts. And then this is a question that we're going to spend a little more time on because I think it's really significant for our purposes today. Who participates in this miracle? saw something for the first time as I was preparing this message. I think there's a very good chance that at the end of this day, the only people besides Jesus who knew this miracle had occurred, were the 12 disciples. (laughs) They were the only ones who knew the whole story. They're the only ones that knew that it was Jesus' idea that nobody leave. They were the only ones that knew that all they had to start with were five loaves and two fish. They're the only ones that knew that every time they came back to Jesus for more, he kept handing it to them. (laughs) They're the only ones who knew. They're the only ones who knew how 5,000 men plus the women and children who were with them got fed out of five loaves and two fish. They're the ones who knew. And that was a good day for them. They were seeing an enactment of the new normal for the kingdom of heaven. And they were not spectators. They were players. They They were invited by Jesus to be a part of a miraculous provision of the ordinary. I love that. So I want us to look at the story from three perspectives and really hone in on how we should be responding to this wonderful story. First, I want you to think with me about the crowd, the perspective of the crowd. So if we could go out and interview uh, members of the crowd, I I think we'd we'd get this testimony from a member of that crowd. Uh, He's glad we've come and he wants us to stay. Have you ever been bold enough to step up to the plate with somebody you at least perceived to be important? You were bold enough to step up, and then when you got there, it was like, ooh, maybe I should leave, right? Maybe I've overstepped my bounds here. So here you have thousands of people who have been bold. They've come to Jesus, 
And then when it gets to be about dinner time and, and many of them have a long walk home, Jesus' guys start coming around. We're told in one of the accounts that they were to be seated in little groups of 50 or 100. So that somebody came to organize them and say, well, what are we organizing for? Dinner? What? We're not going to go have to forage for dinner? We're not going to have to all descend on the same Kroger? Right? I mean, have you ever thought about it from the crowd's perspective? It's like, oh, cool. He didn't, he, they're not in any hurry for us to leave. Listen, because we're part of the crowd, that's good news. And I think that perspective speaks to us of the hospitality of abundance. Because Jesus knew there was plenty, he could afford to be hospitable. Does that make sense? Um, how many of you have been around a good host or hostess? See, people who are good hosts or hostesses, let me, let me just tell you, it's not because they decorate their house pretty. I've been in beautifully decorated houses that I was afraid to mess up. And then I've been in beautifully decorated houses where it was clear I was welcome. And if I messed something up, no big deal. And then I've been in houses that you couldn't see a kitchen counter. But I was welcome, and I didn't want to leave, right? When you come to Jesus, he is in no hurry for you to leave. Because he has no worry that he doesn't have what you'll need. Abundance engenders welcome and hospitality. And do you find it interesting that one of the um, repeated commands, we call them reciprocal, the one another commands, one of the repeated commands of the New Testament is receive or welcome one another. How many of you know what it's like to long for somebody to be glad to see you. Let me correct that. How many of you long for somebody to act like they're glad to see you and not leave it up to you to figure out? Listen, people who are tapped into Jesus catch this from Him. Oh, we got plenty. <laughs> You're welcome. We got plenty. We're not worried of running out. We're not, I'm not worried of running out of time. I'm not worried of running out of energy. I'm not worried of running out of groceries. What we got, you can have. That's where hospitality comes from. It doesn't come from having a lot. It, has, it comes from knowing where to get what you need, right? So the crowd knew they were welcome, and it, and, uh, and it created the atmosphere for everything else that happened. Second perspective I want you to see is, of course, the most important one. That's the perspective, perspective of Jesus. Jesus' perspective, I'm drawing this from the um, passages, but I think this is right. Jesus' perspective was, I want them to have plenty of what they need most. I want them to have plenty of what they need most. See, Jesus is not, um, Jesus is not at all um, selfish or cautious about how much he's willing to give away. But what he is motivated to give away is what we need. Notice, he did not put on a feast. He just fed them what peasants ate. He fed them bread and fish, right? Now, here's one of the challenges that we have. Because we live in such wealth, <laughs> one of the ways wealth is described is abundance and variety, right? So we have come to think that both of those are normal. And if we ever lack for abundance or variety, we think we are very put upon, right? I mean, we expect to have lots of options. 
And we expect not to have to eat the same thing two days in a row or four days or eight days, right? We don't live grateful to have enough of what we need. We feel insecure if we don't have more than enough of everything we might need. And I want to tell you that if that describes you as it describes me, you are on the precipice of greed because you start thinking that what you want is what you need. You see the difference? What I love about this story is that Jesus is over the top in abundance, but very simple in provision. And I call this the simplicity of provision. When Jesus says, when the scriptures say he will supply, when Paul says he will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory through Christ Jesus. You don't get to define what you need because you didn't make you and you didn't redeem you. Listen, can you just come to Jesus as a little child and admit, I don't know what I need? What you provide defines what I need. And that, that's liberating. I don't need all the stuff I've become accustomed to. I like it. I enjoy it. And I can, if I'm in a season of having variety and more than I need on a given day, I can enjoy it without guilt, without shame. But I don't need it. I know the difference between gravy and steak. Right? And let's be honest. I know the difference between gravy and tuna fish. Right? The simplicity of provision. In a moment, you're going to be invited to come to the table of the Lord where the Lord says what you most need is my broken body and my shed blood to change you from the inside out. And there's more than enough of that for you. And Jesus' invitation is a healthy diet of what you need most will set you free from the stuff you think you need that you're striving for and worried about. You're either worried about getting it or worried about losing it. (laughs) Saints, liberty comes when what you need matches what Jesus provides. And it starts with the provision of Jesus Himself. And that's the table is here to train us that that's the way we live seven days a week. We live out of the abundance of the riches of Christ, which are already ours by faith. And then everything else we need comes as it may from the hand of our Heavenly Father. And then one last perspective, and that's the perspective of the disciples. I've already hinted at this, so it shouldn't take long to cover it. But here's, here's what I think the disciples would say at the end of that day. Oh, He wants us to keep passing on what He's provided to us. I mean, when I read through this story again in the last couple of weeks, what I realized is, this was just Jesus setting up his disciples. It, the whole thing is an object lesson for them because they're the only ones who knew the whole story. The crowd didn't know. All the crowd knew was me and the 49 people in my circle got dinner. I don't know where it came from and I don't much care because I'm walking home without an empty stomach, right? And then they got to walking back to their homes and villages and whatever and they got to swapping stories. Oh, your circle got your circle got fed too. And, your, and you had 99 other people in your circle? Man, what happened? What just happened over there? But that might have been two, three, four days later around the well back at the village. The day of, the disciples knew, oh, Jesus is trying to show us something. I get it. 
And so for the disciples that came after the first 12, he put it in the Bible six times. Right? So what do disciples of Jesus do? Man, this is our participation in the abundance of Christ. So you know what those guys, first of all, how long did it take for 12 people to serve? Let, let's just be, let's be uh, very conservative and let's say uh, every man there had a wife and one kid. 15,000 people served by 12. How many trips is that back and forth from Jesus to a circle for each of those 12 guys? And they're going back and forth and they're just thinking, where is this coming from? Where is this? Why? Yeah, Peter says to John, how many trips have you made? Yeah, me too. And it just keeps coming. It just keeps coming. It just keeps coming. Why? Because there are 15,000 hungry people. Imagine if Jesus only fed a third of them. That'd be a bad ending to a good day. <laughs> right? I mean, 15,000 people don't mind being hungry together, but if some of them are fed and some of them aren't, you got a riot on your hands, haven't you? Jesus fed them all, and then after the crowd had left, Jesus said, yeah, go pick up what was left over. Left over? Le- there are leftovers? What was Jesus doing? Jesus was training his disciples. Guys, this is what you're going to be doing from now on. You're going to be coming to me, and I'm going to be giving you what I got from the Father, and you're going to be taking it to people. And you're going to make as many trips as you need to make, and then you're going to make one more trip to pick up the leftovers. Because the leftovers are the seed for the next opportunity. Right? And if you follow Jesus all the way, that's what you get to do. You get to, by the way, I'm assuming it was 5,012. I'm assuming they got to eat. Okay? Would you assume that? I assume they got to eat. If they, now, if I were doing it, I'd be, you know, like on the way. I'm really bad about that. Um, I don't touch the same one twice, though, I promise. But, man, disciples get to participate in the abundance of Jesus. They get to participate. Jesus set this whole thing up. And you know, later on in Matthew 16 and in another place in Mark, Jesus specifically refers when his disciples are screwing up again. He said, didn't you learn anything from when I fed the multitudes and how many baskets were left over? Come on, Bueller. Come on. Didn't you get it? At least when you were picking up those baskets, didn't you get it? If you get it from me, you'll always have more than enough. And here's the key to having more than enough. Use the enough and give away the more. Use the enough and give away the more. And then you get to live like a follower of Jesus. And what that means for most of us saints is that our definition of enough has to be changed by the Word of God and the Spirit of God. I can't tell you what's enough for you and your family. I don't know what your obligations are. I don't know what your commitments are. I do know this. If you're living without a margin, you're not living like a follower of Jesus. If you aren't living with a plan to give some of what you've got away, you're not doing it right. Is that, is that fair? But it's a privilege to live that way, isn't it? It's a privilege. Listen, my mom was never not ready for company. Okay? I mean, if somebody showed up unannounced, within 30 minutes, there was something to serve them, and they knew they were welcome because she managed to keep a conversation going the whole time she was fixing it, right? It wasn't always great, those 30-minute ones, but it was something. 
Um, I want to live that way. And I want you to live that way because it's the only way you'll live free. It's the only way you won't be afraid of losing what you got or not getting what you think you need. Freedom is when you live with your head on a swivel, wondering the next time Jesus lets you give something away that you've got. That's freedom. Freedom is when you choose to do with less than you could afford so that you're always ready to take care of somebody else. That's freedom. And this story is another invitation to live that kind of free life. Listen, let's be honest. The problem is that in our hearts, we think that these things or these experiences that we save up for and we just got to do. I talked to somebody this week, bless his heart, and in his case, I don't have any I don't have any judgment on his stewardship, whether he's doing anything wrong with the Lord. But, uh, oh, yeah, we're so excited. We're taking our daughter to Disney World next week. They're not taking their daughter to Disney World. They're going to Disney World. She's not, she's not two years old. I said, Dave, you know you're not making any memories for your two-year-old. Yeah, 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 we know. But we do a lot of stuff like that, don't we? We're playing a role. We're, we're doing what we think is expected of us. And we end up using lots of resources on marginally significant things. When some of our resources, and by the way, resources are not limited to money and possessions at all. Some of those resources are intended to be set aside so that you can be generous like Jesus is generous. And that's freedom, and that's why we want you to hear the word of the Lord and learn to live this way. (laughs) Because it's freedom for you. It's freedom for you. If you come to Jesus for what you need, you will never lack enough for yourself and more to give away to others. When you empty your hands of whatever you're clinging to, He will fill your hands with what He's eager to give. And the thing He's most eager to give you is Himself. I don't know if you noticed when we read the story, but Matthew and the other gospel accounts of this story use this language. Jesus took it, He blessed it, He broke it, and He gave it. Now you know the gospels were written some decades after the resurrection, right? And by this time, the church had already been Blessing, uh, taking and blessing and breaking and distributing the table of the Lord for decades regularly. And the gospel writers used that language so that when we read this story, we would think of this table as really it, it, is, it is a uh, template for living in the kingdom of God. So we invite you in Jesus' name. It's his invitation. We're just the Aaron boys. We invite you to his table. If your trust is in Jesus Christ, He welcomes you to His table. If you've given up on stuff or experiences or even people to satisfy your craving heart, and you've decided that only the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus satisfies your craving heart, He welcomes you to His table. And I'm not asking you if you've done it well or poorly in the last week. I'm asking you if you want to re-up with Him for the week ahead. Because a uh, uh, favorite hymn of mine when I was a boy, Christ receiveth sinful men, parenthesis, because that's the only, time, only kind on offer, right? If you've messed up, this table is for you to re-up and to say, Jesus, if I'm going to live as your follower next week, it will be because you are who you say you are in your broken body and your shed blood. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Elders are going to come and they're going to be at the tables. And in a moment, after I've prayed, you're going to come and you're going to receive, as a believer in Christ, the broken body and shed blood of Jesus. Will you stand with us?
Lord Jesus, I thank You. I thank You for the power in this story and for the grace in this story and for the presence of Your Holy Spirit who has been breaking the bread of life to us from the Word. And now we call upon You, that same Holy Spirit, so that as we come to this table, we can receive Jesus. Not just tokens of Him, but Himself. Jesus, we can't thank You enough that You told us a way that we could be sure You would meet us, especially in those moments when we feel confused and far from You. Meet us at this table now because You said You would and because You are here with us. So Jesus, on the night He was betrayed, took the bread and He blessed it and He broke it. And He said to those He loved most dearly, this is My body broken for you. Take it and eat it in remembrance of Me. And in the same manner, after the meal, He took a cup and He said, this cup is a new covenant in My blood shed for the remission of your sins. Take it and drink it in remembrance of Me. And so in Jesus' name, I invite you to come and receive the body and blood of Jesus Christ.